Good morning. Good morning. A little different being up here. I've been down in the Union Church so long. It's uh, nice to be upstairs and worship with y'all this morning. Following along in the Wise Up series that Chris has been doing, today we're going to talk about pride. Now I know that this message is not going to be relevant for most of us today because we don't have to deal with pride. But I am sure that we all can think of someone that really should be here today to hear this message besides us, right? Wait a minute. Did I just make a prideful statement? And did you all just have a prideful thought when you thought of someone else that should be here today? My point is that if we are honest with ourselves, we all deal with pride. Uh, pride can sneak into our lives, and sometimes it can just be that quick and easy. It can happen to us without us even noticing it if we're not looking for it. How many of you have ever drove your vehicle for months with a taillight or a brake light out, and you, and you did not know about it? Sure, most of us have done this at some point. At some point. And pride can be in our lives the same way. You may not notice it, but everyone around you can sure see it. And just like your blown taillight, it may take someone else to bring it to your attention before you realize it. But is pride always a bad thing? How about when a parent is proud of their child after they earn all A's and B's on a report card? Or maybe when your child makes all-star team. Or when they make a really good life decision on their own. When we are proud of others and what they have achieved, then pride or being proud of them can be a good thing. Take Paul, for instance. When he is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, he says, I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. This statement I just read from Paul gives us an example that we can be proud of others' accomplishments. Paul is stating how proud he is of the church at Corinth for the repentance of sins. It is good to take pride in our work. When we make sure that we are doing a, our, when we make sure we are doing our job and taking pride in our work, as if we're working for God, C.S. Lewis states that God not only wants us to do good works. He wants us to do good work. He wants us to do good work. As Christians, we should want to do a good job because then others may take notice and can bring honor, it can bring honor and glory to God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is not simple pride when we give God the credit for the work that he does in our lives. But we need to be careful not to let our hearts become prideful or let it sneak in when other let it sneak in when others notice or recognize our hard work. So when is pride a bad thing? First let's look at the biblical definition of pride. Undue confidence in one's own skills, accomplishments, state, possessions, or position. Now let's look at a couple of verses to see what God in his word says about this type of pride. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, 
evil behavior and perverse speech. God is stating that he hates pride and arrogance. This is when people inflate themselves up or when we are arrogant or boastful about our own accomplishments, position, state, or possessions. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Another word for haughty is arrogant. This verse has given us a clear warning. If we were to paraphrase this verse, it may sound something like this. Before our lives fall apart, we will be arrogant and prideful. But does today's culture have a narrow perspective on pride, of pride? And as Christians, do we have a narrow perspective of pride? I believe the answer is yes. Let me explain. For most of the world, when we think of pride, we only think of someone who is boastful or arrogant. Someone who walks around bragging about themselves or their kids all the time. Now, I'm not saying that we can't be proud of their accomplishments like we stated earlier. Excuse me. But we must ask ourselves, are we telling everyone because we are proud of them or because they are our kids? You see, pride is more complex than we realize, than we want to admit. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 18.12, before a downfall, the heart is haughty. Now, I intentionally let off, left off at the end of these verses for now, and we're going to come back to them later. But right now, I want us to just focus on the first half of them. The New English translation, I really like how it worded it, Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of a person is proud. This tells us that before we fall or destruction comes our way, we will have a heart issue. You see, pride infects our hearts, and when it does, we need to be able to realize it. it if, we can, if we want to heed the warning, that God has given us through these verses. I believe that there are seven symptoms that we can look for when it comes to evaluating ourselves to make sure we don't have a prideful heart. Recognizing these will help us guard our hearts when pride starts sneaking in, and if it does sneak in undetected, that we hopefully will not be the last one to know about it. Hopefully, we can use these to recognize it by self-evaluation and by being convicted by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these seven symptoms now, one by one. The seven symptoms of a prideful heart. The first symptom to look for is rebellion. A rebellious heart is when our prideful heart tells us that we know better than God. This symptom of pride goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, think about it. Isn't this exactly what Adam and Eve thought? That they knew better than God? Yeah, they had a little help from Satan, but they quickly assumed they knew better than God. Let me read Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. You will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing, to the, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, 
she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Satan appeals to our rebellious pride that caused Adam and Eve to think that they knew better than God. I mean, God told them that if they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they would die. But all it took was for Satan to add a little doubt, and then we see man's prideful rebellion show its ugly head. Adam and Eve quickly thought that they knew better than God. How often do we do this exact same thing? I mean, we think we know better than God. When we feel that God is calling us in one direction in our life, and we do not want to obey, so we take off in another. Or we make excuses why God must be wrong. We need to remember that God is omniscient, all-knowing, and we humans are not by a long shot. The second symptom to look for is fear. This symptom is when our prideful heart becomes self-reliant and we lack or stop trusting in God. Peter is a good example of this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 27 to 31. This is where the disciples are on a boat and they are, they are out from the shoreline. And Jesus walks out with them. Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking to Jesus on the water. Then this big, this big gust comes along and smacks him. And he is immediately scared. He starts thinking, he starts sinking, and cries out for Jesus to save him. Then verse 31 says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? This is a good example of how fear can cause us to doubt God. Just like Peter, one moment we can be willing to have the faith to get out of the boat by taking a risk or a stand for Jesus. Then suddenly life smacks us with some unexpected wind, troubles of this world, that distracts us and causes us to fear. Suddenly, because of fear, we quickly start to doubt or question God. We can let our fears start controlling our decision-making, our relationships, and it can also start affecting our lifestyle. This is fear that is grounded in a profitable heart because we are basically telling God that our fear is bigger than our faith in Him. We are not placing our faith in Him but in our circumstances. This symptom of pride is where we fear God, and we fear because we are not trusting in the Lord. But instead, we let fear become our driving force in our life. This leads us to our third symptom. The third symptom to look for is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is when our prideful heart says that we can do life on our own, that we don't need God, this is when we find ourselves not taking the time to pray to God or ask for his help. Or maybe we start talking to taking God for granted in our everyday walk of faith. This is a way for us to tell God that we've got this on our own. This symptom of pride can sneak in on us, especially the longer we've been a Christian. You see, the longer we've been a Christian, the more of a chance it is for us to build up our self-confidence we tend to stop relying on God so much and start relying on our own abilities and strengths, 
especially when life is going well. This symptom of pride can really show up in places where we are confident and comfortable. Take for instance, I want you all to try to think back for the first couple of years of your Christian walk. Now I want you to think about how much you relied on God during those first couple of years as a Christian. Think about how much you prayed to God and relied on Him each day. You were probably constantly asking for His help in all areas of your newfound life as a Christian. Your prayer life was probably very consistent. And you may have even thought that you were praying to God too much or bothering Him way too much. But after a couple of years, we find ourselves coming to church regularly and God has been helping us make some, maybe God's been helping us make some significant changes in our lives. Then suddenly we start to think that as a Christian, we have arrived. We have everything under, the, under control. But if we take time to really do some self-examination, we may realize how self-reliant we have become and how much less we are talking and praying to God these days. We need to ask ourselves, when was the last time that we fervently prayed and asked God to guide our day? Or to help us get out of our comfort zone at work or at the grocery store and just share the good news of Jesus with others? Or maybe just invite them to church? You see, if we're not careful as Christians, we can get to a point where we get too confident in our own abilities and without even realizing it, we can quickly find ourselves not relying on God as much as we should. The longer we are Christians, the more dangerous it is for us to become self-reliant. And that is not what we are supposed to be as followers of Jesus. God wants us to talk, talk to Him all the time and to rely on His guidance and direction through the Holy Spirit. For us to do this, we cannot be overconfident are too comfortable in our prayer life. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 tells us that we should pray without ceasing. We can also see all throughout the Bible when people ask for God's help and rely on Him that He never let them down. And we need to do the same thing. The fourth symptom to look for is hypocrisy. This is when our prideful heart elevates ourselves more than we should. The Pharisees and other religious leaders in the New Testament are a good example of this one. In Matthew chapter 23, the whole chapter, Jesus is giving a warning to his disciples in the crowd. He tells them to obey the religious leaders, but do not do what they do, because they do not practice what they preach. Listen to the description that Jesus gives of the Pharisees in these next couple of verses. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. These verses and many others in the New Testament help us clearly see that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day had elevated themselves above others. In verses 8 through 10, Jesus also gives us a warning to not 
seek titles that can lead us to become prideful. This again can be one that the longer we are Christians, the easier the trap is to fall into. We can start to think that we are a good Christian. We don't sin that much, if at all. I mean, we do our best to obey God's law, at least the best we can, right? We can also start to think about how much we've learned or grown spiritually over the years since we first became a Christian. Then suddenly, we find ourselves looking down on other Christians or people outside the church as if we are better than them. And before we know it, we have elevated ourselves above others. There is another good there's another good account of this in Luke chapter 18, verse, verse 9 through 14, where Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector both going to the temple to pray. The Pharisee clearly has a powerful heart and thanks God that he is not like other men or like the tax collector standing behind him. But the tax collector stood at a distance and beat his chest and asked God to have mercy on him. This is a good reminder for us all when we want to elevate ourselves above others more than we should because we think we have it all together. The fifth symptom to look for is people pleasing. This is when our prideful heart tells us that we should seek man's approval and not God's. This symptom of pride is where we try to find our value in others by pleasing them instead of pleasing God. King Saul is a good example of this in 1 Samuel. When God had told him to go and destroy the Amalekites and everything that belonged to them because of their wickedness, Saul and his men went and attacked them. But instead of completely destroying all of them and their animals, Saul spared their king, and he let his soldiers keep some of their sheep and cattle. Saul disobeyed God, and it was because of pride. You see, King Saul wanted to use the Amalekite king as a trophy to show off his military strength, and he also wanted to please his soldiers. Listen to Saul's response after Samuel had told him that God had rejected him for his disobedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. This helps us to see that Saul was worried about pleasing his soldiers more than he was following God's instruction. Now this is a good example of how we should not seek to please people. Sometimes it may be hard to state the truth to someone or to take a stand for God, but we should strive to please God and not people. Listen to what Paul has to say about this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The context of this passage is that the church of Galatia was being persuaded by a false gospel, and Paul was rebuking them for it. Paul is taking a stand for Christ, even though it may come at a cost. 
As Christians, we should be willing to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be willing to defend our faith and the gospel message that it is so grounded in. We should always desire to serve and obey God and not to please people. The sixth symptom to look for is ingratitude. This is when our prideful heart has us complaining and grumbling because we do not get what we want. For this one, we're going to look at the Israelites wandering in the desert. God had led them out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. Then when they thought that they were trapped by the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army coming behind them, God parted the Red Sea so that they could cross it on dry ground. God then wiped out Pharaoh's army in front of them. And just three days later, listen to what they were doing. Exodus 15:24 says, So the people grumbled against Moses. What are we to think, or what are we to drink? Even after everything God had just done for them, everything that had just they had just witnessed and lived through, it just took three days for them to start grumbling. I mean, these people had witnessed what God did with the ten plagues on Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, God being in a cloud leading them by day and protecting them at night. And it still took only three days for ingratitude to show up on the scene. But what does God do? He gives them what they want. And only a month later, they are doing it again. Listen to Exodus 16.2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then in chapter 17, the Israelites started complaining about the water again. Even after God had done all this for them, all they could think about was what they did not have. Instead of being grateful for everything God had done for them. Now, it is easy to, for us to point the finger to the, at the Israelites and say, what in the world are they thinking? What is wrong with these people? I believe it is more... What is but how often do we do this exact same thing? I believe it is more often than we care to admit. God can be working in our lives, answering our prayers, guiding us and watching over us. But then the first time something doesn't go as planned or something unexpected happens, like a death in the family, a loss of a job, or maybe a pandemic hits, we suddenly find ourselves grumbling and complaining about how bad we have it. Instead of grumbling and complaining, we should trust God and remember all the blessings that he has bestowed upon us. Now, this leads us to our last symptom. This is when our prideful heart leads us to believe that we are entitled to more than what we deserve. We all can be an example of this when we think that the world or God owes us something. We may feel entitled to love, praise, 
and or success. Our prideful heart tells us that we deserve to be loved. We deserve to be praised by others and to be successful. When we have an elevated opinion of ourselves, we in, we in turn will always think that we deserve more. We can think we should have gotten that promotion instead of such and such. Or we think that we deserve to be loved by everyone or to be in a better relationship. We start to think that we are entitled to a better life than what we have. We can find ourselves saying, I am a good Christian and I am entitled for a blessed life here on earth. But God's word makes it clear that we are all sinners and the only thing that we should be entitled to is a just punishment of those sins. Listen to Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. Looking at these two verses, we can see that we are not entitled to anything but death. Death is our just punishment for our sin. There are many other verses in the Bible that remind us that we are not entitled to anything. So when pride starts sneaking in with the symptom of entitlement, we need to remind ourselves that God does not owe us anything, but instead we should be thankful for all the grace and mercy that he has shown us. Now after covering all seven of these symptoms, of what a prideful heart looks like, we need to know how to overcome it. What does the Bible have to say about how to overcome pride? I want to go back now to those verses in Proverbs that we started with today. You remember the ones that I only read the first half of them, Proverbs 11, 2 and 18, 12. Let's read them again now. 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Now, 18.12, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Both verses contain the answer of how we can overcome pride once we recognize it. And it is with humility. With humility comes wisdom. Humility comes before honor. If we want to overcome a prideful heart or to get rid of pride when it starts to sneak in to our lives, then we will need to make the wise decision to humble ourselves and live a life of humility. Jesus has given us an example of a life lived with great humility. His life is saturated in humility. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, verses 5 and 6. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Paul is not only charging the church at, the church at Philippi to live in humility, but he also he is also reminding them that Jesus did not even think of himself equal with God. Even though he was God in the flesh, 
but did not consider it to his own advantage. He humbled himself to be a human being. But there is more. Think about how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then what he, did, what he said afterwards. After Jesus had washed their feet, he returns to the table with them. Let's read, let's read the end of this explanation in verses 15 and 16. I have set you an example that you, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Boys, that isn't a big piece of humble pie. Jesus has set us an example of how we should serve others and that we should not think better of ourselves. Now, if there ever was someone that walked this earth that had the right to be prideful or to think better of themselves, don't you think it should be Jesus Christ? Of course it would. I mean, he was and is the Son of God. He chose to come to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But instead of having a prideful heart, he humbled himself to wash the disciples' feet. He also did not consider himself equal with God, and he was willing to be mocked, beaten, and crucified for our sins, even while we were still sinners. These are just a couple of highlights of how Jesus lived a life of humility, and we should follow his example. Jesus is the example for us to follow, not only as our Lord and Savior, but also when it comes to living a life of humility. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. If we want to wise up and overcome pride, we all need to recognize the symptoms that we have talked about today and then ask God to help us have a humble heart, one like Jesus, filled with humility. Humility is when we are willing to submit to God's rule and not rebel against it. Humility is when we are willing to trust in God and not live in fear. Humility is when we are willing to consistently rely and pray to God, not be self-reliant. Humility is when we are willing to place others above ourselves and not elevate ourselves above others. Humility is when we are willing to serve God and not please people. Humility is when we are willing to show gratitude for our blessings from God and not grumbling or complaining against God. Humility is when we are willing to recognize that we are not entitled to anything from God. This is how we overcome a prideful heart. We replace it with humility. So I want to ask everyone here today, have you noticed some of these symptoms in your life? When we were going through these, could you say, yep, I remember when I did that. If, you're, if we're all honest with ourselves, I believe that we all can think of a time when we have dealt with pride in our lives. 
I can tell you that when I was writing this message, there were multiple times that I was reflecting like, oh man, that was pride of my life. But thanks be to God that we have a Savior that was willing to humble himself by coming into this world and dying on the cross for our sin. Thanks be to God that we have such a great example to follow. Maybe you're here today and you have not yet decided to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to ask, is it pride that is holding you back? Is it pride that is keeping you from submitting to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? As we come to that time, as our as we come to our invitational time now, will you decide to humble yourself today by coming forward? If you have a decision to make, I ask that you make it now as we stand and sing our invitational song at Calvary. <laughs>